Put your hands together with us. Thought your cap, thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought it strange. Thought your cap, thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought it strange. Thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought your strength. Thought your God, thought your heart, thought your soul, thought your mind, thought it strange. I'll set the door, thought my heart, thought my soul, thought my mind, thought it strange. I'll set the door, thought my heart, thought my soul, thought my mind. Shout glory and we 
prepare to enter the rest of our worship service. Uh, we'll have a prayer of confession. I just wanted to remind everyone of uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us as we are. And for not requiring us before we come to you to be clean. That you gave us that gift of grace. And you said, come as you are. And I will make you clean. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. For shedding that blood that washes us all as white as snow. I pray, Lord, that we all just reflect this morning on the sin in our lives, for there's no secret that we all have it. Just help us to reflect and to overcome those, those areas that we need work on with your, with your help. Help us to seek you and to turn away from things that make us turn away from you, Lord. We pray all these things this morning in your son's name. Thank you. 
Wow. 
righteousness Humble himself Carry the cross That's so amazing That's so amazing Please stand, let's sing together
God, you are Lord of all. Lord, we sing that today. God, I pray that you'll help us to fully realize that, that truth, God, that you are the Lord of all things in every moment, God, in all places. Lord, I pray that you help us to live that out daily. Lord, help us to, um, to read your word and to hear, hear from it, God, and uh, to, to take heed of what it says, Lord. God, help us to not be uh, hearers only, but doers. God, help us to, um, to share your love, God, and to take hold of it and to know that we have been loved first, and so we should love well. It's your name I pray. Amen. your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4 this morning. We are in Proverbs as we can uh, continue our series in God's family. We've been looking at, at different roles that God calls us to, uh, whether you're single, whether you're a husband or a wife, or whether you're an employee or an employer. There, there are all these different role directions that were given at the end of the epistles that Paul writes. And what we've, we've said before and, and we'll say again is that what Paul does is he grounds our calling, our specific station in life, our role, kind of who we are and, and what, what kind of station we have in a family or in a workplace, he grounds that in the fact and the reality that we are in his family, that we belong to God. And because you belong to God, therefore you can fulfill whatever role he calls you to. So because you are God's, you can be a good husband. Because you are God's, you can uh, give yourself to others as a single person. Because you are God's, you can be a good parent. And so we see that again and again in Ephesians and Colossians and in other places throughout the New Testament scriptures, that we need to know first that we are in God's family, and then we can fulfill the role that we have in whatever other earthly family God calls us to. This morning, I'm going to be focusing in on parenting, and so I'm going to try to talk really quickly today. I'm not always real fast with my words, but I'm going to try to be a little quicker because there's just a, a lot to cover. And, and if I don't mention these books specifically, I've got a stack of books here on the corner of the stage, and if you'd like after the service, I would encourage you to just flip through some of these. These are all uh, parenting books that I would recommend. There's quite a few there. Um, parenting is a big task, right? For those of you that are parents, it's, it's not easy business, is it? Um, parenting is hard, and this morning we've called our sermon Shepherding Little Hearts. I stole that a little bit from a book called Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. It's a really good parenting book, um, but what I want to counteract is the idea that that if we do the right things, then we can control our children's behavior and control the external issues, and then we've, then we've done our job, right? And, and sometimes we can just stop short focusing on the symptoms, and we don't work our way down into the heart issues. And so that's what I want to try to remind us of this morning, that it's important to, to take things back to the heart issues. In Proverbs 4.23, it says... Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Above all else, guard your heart, is what it says in that proverb. You have to protect your heart, because out of that flows everything else. And you'll recognize that was a theme that Jesus hit on quite a bit in the Gospels. Jesus said, uh, out of your heart, things flow. That, that is what causes you to be who you are. You can't just manage the externals in your life and consider the job done. But you have to deal with the heart issues. And as we parent 
children, and even those of you that don't have children of your own, as you teach children or as you're an uncle or an aunt or a big brother or a big sister, as you shepherd children, you have to understand that it's got to work its way back to the heart issues. It's not enough just to get them to stop or start the behavior that you want, but you've got to get a heart that's redirected back towards God. You see, as, as humans, as mankind, we all have this sin problem, right? We all have this problem in our hearts of, of being directed away from God. That's what we see in, in Romans 1. That's what we see beginning in the fall back with Adam and Eve, that, that they've decided and we've decided that our hearts will be happier, we'll be more fulfilled if we do life on our own. And God continues to call us back to himself and say, I will forgive you for that sin, I will forgive you for that rebellion, and I'll, I'll call you back to myself, and, and I want you to understand that you will find joy in me. And that's really our job as parents, is convincing our kids that we actually love them, we actually have their best in mind. That's part of how we shepherd those little hearts. So Proverbs 4.23, we're going to jump around a lot today, but that's kind of the key verse today. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Let's pray. Father God, we, we hear your word, and I pray that, that we would be open to it, that you would speak to us, that you would transform us, that you would help us to be the kinds of people that address the root causes, that address the heart issues with our children and with those that you've given us leadership over. Father, help us to honor you with the stewardship we have and to live lives that bring glory to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking about um, dealing with heart issues in a child, I remembered a story that my wife had told me uh, about her grandmother and uncle. When her uncle was a little boy, her grandmother started to notice a strange smell in their house. And uh, at first, I think maybe she thought it was a strange smell in his room and Tried to, you know, clean up a little bit, looked for any dirty socks, tried to make sure, you know, little boys, the rooms can, can smell a little strange sometimes, especially when there's more than one in there at one time. Um, and, and they tried to clean up the room, but still the smell kind of lingered. Um, she started to realize that it was actually her little boy, and that, that was what was smelling odd. And she started to realize his breath was kind of strange and thought maybe he was sick, so she encouraged him to drink plenty of water, and she was having him brush his teeth, and you know, trying some different home remedies, and, and, and the problem just didn't seem to go away. And, and so finally, she decided we, we've got to figure out what the deal is. You know, I've been trying to attack the symptoms, attack the outside, attack the, the odor that's presenting itself, and I, I'm not winning this battle. So she decided to take him to the doctor to see if she could get at what the heart of this issue was. Well, when he got to the doctor, the doctor uh, examined him and was able to extract a large pencil eraser that he had shoved into his nose. This little boy had shoved an eraser up into his nose, and I guess as a little boy, five or six, you know, knew that's not what erasers are for, so he wasn't going to tell his parents what he had done. So he was trying to keep it a secret. Um, but these things come out, right? Symptoms begin to present themselves, and he can't hide that sort of thing. He'd gotten this terrible infection in his nose because he'd shoved that eraser down in there, and it was causing all kinds of problems. And it's the same issue with parenting. We can't, just, we can't just deal with the externals. We can't just deal with the outward problems, but we have to go to the source. We have to deal with our children's hearts and deal with where the problem is rooted there in their hearts. Martin Luther has said, and he's been quoted a lot, for saying that you don't 
You don't break any of the other commandments without breaking the first commandment first. The first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me. So any other thing we get in trouble with in life, any other commandment we're breaking, whether us as adults or our children, it's because we have hearts that have turned away from the true God. We've begun to try to find satisfaction. We've begun to try to find security and pleasure in something other than the true God of the universe. And then that causes us to break all the other commandments. We have to keep that in mind as we shepherd our own kids. The first thing I want to hit on is, is the reality that little hearts actually need discipline. This is a countercultural idea, right? We have a culture. We're kind, of, we're kind of in the Bible Belt here. It's kind of a conservative culture. So a lot of people still remember this from our, our cultural history. Uh, but the direction of our culture is, is moving in one that, that says that the kids are basically okay as they are, and if we would just back off and just kind of let them be free, that everything would turn out right. You know, that, that kids are basically innocent, that people are basically okay as they are, and we should just let them flourish and develop. But the Bible has a view of humanity that we are actually fallen, that we are rebellious, that the problem out there in the world is not all those bad people, but, but us. That, that we're all part of the problem. That, that's the biblical view, that all of humanity is the problem with the world, that we all have hearts that have turned away from God, and those hearts need redirecting. And so we've got to start with that foundational issue, that part of our job as parents is to parent our kids, that God actually gives us authority, that we should discipline them, that we should direct them, that we should lead them. And, and when I use that word discipline, I want to make sure you understand what discipline means. Discipline means direction. It means leading and training. Discipline doesn't just mean pain, right? For some of you, that word means pain, right? Now, now I will argue that Scripture says pain can be part of loving discipline. It actually can be part of your toolkit, right? You can pull pain out of your toolbox. That could be part of what a loving parent uses, actually, to direct their kids. But we're not just talking about pain and injury and anger and that, that's not discipline. A lot of times people just think of punishment and pain, and they think that's what discipline means. No, discipline is a big word, and it means training. It means leading your children in the right direction. Now, as I said, sometimes pain can be a part of that process. Not injury, uh, but pain and discomfort. You can redirect uh, your child sometimes with discomfort to help them to understand that obedience is good and pleasant and brings joy. And that disobedience can bring discomfort and bring things that they don't like. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Now we have to understand, again, understand definitions here. The rod is not a baseball bat, okay? Uh, this would be something more like a dowel rod or a switch, okay? This is, not, this is not to cause injury. This is not to show your kid how angry you are. This is to cause a little discomfort and redirect your child. It's better for your child to have a little temporary pain than to be killed by walking out in the middle of the street. And that's kind of the, the biblical view of discipline, that sometimes physical punishment is part of discipline. It's part of redirecting. And I know this is hard to hear for those of you that have been abused, for those of you that have been disciplined inappropriately. I know this is painful to think. And, and I know people that have parented successfully without using these physical tools. I think the rod can be a metaphor for just discomfort in general. There's other things you can, you can take away privileges. There's other things that you can do to redirect your children. But I would say that in general, the, the biblical view is that, that spanking is okay as long as it's done in love. 
as long as it's not done to injure, it's not done in anger, it's done in love to direct your child in a godly direction. And that we don't need to be afraid of that, but that's something that can be in our, in our toolkit, in our toolbox. Proverbs 22.15 says that. Proverbs 29.17 says, Discipline your son and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. If you discipline your children, you'll get delight out of them. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Ephesians 6.4 says, Bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, we are to set their direction. We are their parents. They are to obey their parents. Authority structures are okay. There's a movement uh, in the philosophical world, in the cultural world, to just kind of do away with all hierarchy, to do away with all authority systems. I know for those of you in the Army, you may not have heard that yet because the Army still believes heavily in authority, right? Um, but in the rest of the world out there, they're experimenting with some weird stuff. They're, they're trying to do away, you know, with all hierarchy, with all authority. And, and as we know, it, it doesn't really work. That, that we are given authority. We are deputized as parents. We're given authority to lead and give structure to our children's life. Now, they will grow naturally. And I think a good analogy to think of is one that I've been talking about with friends about ministry. It's kind of the same idea with ministry. There's a, a new book out called The Trellis and the vine. It's talking about ministry. You know, there's organic kind of natural growth that happens as the Holy Spirit takes a part of us and and just helps us to grow and gives us a joy for the Lord and we want to serve and love people. And then there's kind of the stuff that that those of us that work for churches do where where we say, hey, let's let's have a meeting at this time. And and, hey, why why don't we build a parking lot so people can drive in and come gather together? You know, and we start building structures in order to facilitate the growth of the community. And so you can think of those structures as the trellis, right, that the vine grows on. But you can think about the, the natural spiritual growth as the vine itself. And, and kids are going to grow. I mean, as long as you feed them, right, and let them sleep a little bit here and there, they're, they're going to grow. But your job as a parent is to build that trellis and to give them some direction. An important distinction, I think, that you need to make as a parent, as you take on this discipline, is as you raise your children to obey you and to follow your leadership, Help them to understand the difference between God's law and your house law. I mean, there are, there are rules of your house, right? And they're not exactly the same thing as God's law. Now, God tells them to obey you. So, so they go together. But you need to help your kids understand there are these absolute morals of God. And then there are the things that we do in our house, you know? We do the laundry this way. We keep the rooms like this. We, we come in and out of the house this way. It's okay to have those rules. Take that authority. Your, your kids need to learn to, to grow and to submit to that authority. But help them to understand the difference. Help them to understand that when they have their own house, you know, they could do the laundry a different way. You know, they could do things a different way, but, but as long as they're in your house, they're following your rules. And that that is a, that's a distinction from God's law. That God's law, they don't get to choose that. That, that's set in stone. But, but your rules, those are the things that they have to submit to while they're in your house. And then when they go off and have their own home, they get to set their own rules. But it's important to keep those distinctions, that we are setting direction for our kids' life. And that's okay. That's part of our call as parents. The other thing I want us to think about is, is this, uh, the way that influence changes over time. What we see on this chart here is, is the blue line is the influence of parents. And you can start, you can see here, when your child is a baby, you have 100% influence over their life, right? I mean, as, as long as the kid's with you. 
you've got absolute influence. And then that influence starts to go down, right? It's really bad in the teen years, and it gets a little better in the 20s. And then this red line is the influence that friends have. Uh, your kids, those of you with like a six-month-old, they, they don't really talk to their friends much, right? They, they, their friends have no influence on their life whatsoever. So here their friends have zero influence. But again, that goes up into the teen years, and then it goes up here, friends have more influence as an adult than your parents do. Well, that's just the natural order of things. You can be frustrated with that. You can not like the chart, but that's kind of how, how life goes, right? Life just tends to move that way. And as you think about the discipline and the kind of the training program that you're implementing with your own kids' life, I think it's natural that you follow this flow, that you are trying to launch your kids into independence. So when they're a baby, yes, you're going to control everything they do. You're going to control when they eat, when you lay them down, when you pick them up. I mean, they can't walk. They can't go anywhere. You, you are in charge of that baby. And then they gradually get more and more independence, right? They get more and more control. And so you've got to begin training them to be independent, to not depend on you as much and begin depending on the Lord more directly as they get older, to begin understanding that for themselves and taking that responsibility on for themselves. So that's how the training transitions over the years of uh, raising children. A lot of people get that reversed, right? A lot of people, because kids are so cute when they're toddlers, just let their kids run wild as toddlers and then start clamping down when they have an out-of-control teen. And that, that's kind of too late. It, you've, you've gotten it reversed. What you need to do is you need to have high control when they're young and then begin letting go of that control as they get older, allowing them to have a natural dependence with, with prayer, with wisdom, knowing that each child is different. I mean, different kids require different attention. One of the great books here is one by Dobson called The Strong-Willed Child. Any of you ever heard of a strong-willed child? Maybe? <laughs> Basically, Dobson's thesis is if you have a strong-willed child, that just means that that child demands a whole lot more work on your part. That's basically what it means. He has no secret formula. He's just like, sorry, you got to work harder. That's all it really means. You just got to hang in there. That child just is going to demand more of you. But, again, different kids have different personalities, and you're trying to transition them to being independent. You're trying to transition them to being able to be launched on their own so that they can have a, an adult dependence on God directly by the time they're an adult and they're out of the house. The next thing that, that we see is that, that kids uh, need delight. And again, I want to, before we move on to that one, I just want to make sure we understand the whole idea of, of discipline. There's some good books here written about that discipline in the, in the Dobson book, uh, a book by Kevin Lehman, who's also a Christian psychologist, and then also Ted Tripp, Shepherding a Child's Heart. All of these deal with that idea of, of physical discipline. It, it should not be done in anger. If you practice spanking or a form of physical discipline where pain is applied for the love of that child, it should not be done in anger. If you find yourself doing that in anger, if that's become a habit, um, I, I would challenge you to fast from that form of discipline. Try something else for a while. You've got to get to the point where you can cool off and you can, and you can help your child understand that you're disciplining them because you love them, not because you're angry at them or because they're inconveniencing you, but because you want their best. Um, and, that, and that transitions us to the, to the next one. That, that we want our kids to understand that we delight in them. They need to understand that you delight. If you don't take anything away today, just know that, that parenting may, means discipline and delight. You've got to have both pieces. 
Some parents want to be their kid's best friend, and there's no discipline, right? Others of you have the other personality. You just want to discipline them. You're just, it's the crackdown, and there's no friendship. You know, you can be friends when they're 40, right? And, and, and the Bible, I think, calls us to, to combine both of those together. We see those two things coming together in scriptural discipline. In Ephesians 6.4, again, this is paralleled in Colossians, but in Ephesians 6.4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't make them angry. That's, that's tough, right? That's a hard one. Uh, that's, that's hard for me to fulfill. I know that's hard for you to fulfill. We are to not provoke our children. That tells me that me just being angry at my kids and just trying to be a pain towards them to get them to do what I want, that's probably not the best method, right? It's probably got to be a little more well thought out than, there, than that. That has to be some more wisdom involved. The other thing that's interesting in this verse is, is bringing them up, that phrase, is literally nourishing them. You're feeding them. You are giving good things to them. You're, you're delighting in them. You're bringing joy in their life. I've got a series of, of Proverbs I want to read to you here. You can write down them, the, uh, the address if you want to look them up later. You don't need to flip to them. But Proverbs 12.25 says, Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. You can be anxious, but someone who brings good words to you brings encouragement, makes your heart glad. There's a lot of Proverbs like that that encourage us, encourages us to have encouraging words for people, to be the kind of person that brings delight and encouragement to our children especially. Proverbs 15:13. A glad heart makes a cheerful face, but by sorrow of heart the spirit is crushed. We want to give a cheerful face to our kids. Proverbs 15:30. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Proverbs 16.21, The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. There's some of us that just lead by our authority, and then there's others that, that know how to be persuasive. You use a sweetness of speech. That doesn't mean you flatter. Proverbs has plenty to say about flattery and lies, and you, know, you don't make stuff up, right? But you can be kind with your words. You can be encouraging and uplifting with your words. Proverbs 16.23 repeats this concept. It says, The heart of the wise man makes his speech judicious, and he adds persuasiveness to his lips. Don't just bring down a hammer, but be an encouraging person that uses encouraging words with your kids. Proverbs 17.22, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. I love this one. A joyful heart is good medicine. And, and modern medicine backs up this Proverbs. I don't know if y'all have seen the research. You know, modern medicine now has shown us that people that laugh live longer. People that laugh have less heart trouble. Joyful people really are healthier. I think that's how Santa Claus survives with that obesity because he's just so jolly, right? Just kind of overcomes it somehow. That, that bringing joy and, and laughter and cheer into life is a good thing that brings health to us. Literally, that makes us physically healthier people. Do you have that kind of relationship with your kids? Do you feel like, no, I've just got to be the authority all the time. They can't see me relax at all. You've got to learn that balance of, of being able to show them joy, to enter their world, to love them, to bring delight into their life. At the same time, they know you're in charge. They know that you are going to lead them and that they have to obey. You've got to bring both your kid's life. I found a uh, picture here of a daddy dancing with his daughter. 
one of the ways that, that we bring delight into our kids' life is we enter into their world, right? And that can kind of be difficult when your kids are little, right? They, they want you to play some weird game or, you know, they're like making up the rules and they're changing the rules every five minutes. And you're like, what's going on? Um, but that, that's part of loving them. You, you enter their world, you get down at their level, you know, when you talk to them, you squat down so you can look them in, in the eye, you play with them, you do the kinds of things that they want to do. And I want to encourage you that as they get older, they start wanting to do more fun things. So it's really, it kind of pays off as your kids grow. I encourage you with that. I heard a story from Tim Kimmel, who has written one of these books, Grace-Based Parenting. He was talking at a conference about how he was taking his little daughter when she was about five or six on a date, a daddy-daughter date. He was taking her out wherever she wanted to go. She wanted to go to 7-Eleven. Okay, we'll, we'll go out to 7-Eleven. So they go to 7-Eleven and she wants to get like a chocolate milk or a Yoo-Hoo or something and sit on the curb with daddy at 7-Eleven. Like, all right, so they're all dressed up. They go sit on the curb and uh, drink their chocolate milk at 7-Eleven because that's what she wants to do because that's what's going to bring delight to her. And then while they're out there, you know, she remembers that one of the things he had suggested was dancing. So she says, Daddy, can we dance? So they're in the parking lot at the 7-Eleven by the dumpster. Um, he's dancing around with his daughter. And he's thinking, the people in the parking lot, the people driving by, think I am an absolute nutcase. I'm out here dancing with this little girl by a dumpster in the parking lot. But that was a great memory for her, right? She, she knew that he saw her as his princess, as his little angel, that he delighted in her, that he loved her. You have to find ways to enter into their world, to speak to them in a way that they understand that you love them and allow them to see that, to enjoy that firsthand. I want to challenge you to, to think about ways that you can build those kind of memories with your kids. What are ways that you can bring delight into their life? Think about the last time that you laughed together as a family. What are some ways you could recreate that again? What are things that you can do? What, what could you schedule to bring some fun into your time together? The last thing we want to look at is, is difficulty. This kind of goes back to the idea of discipline, but little hearts actually need difficulty too, and we have to be careful how we define this, right? What, I, what I'm trying to do is, is position ourselves against the extreme that our culture goes to that, that says that your job is to protect your children from any and every difficulty, right? Sometimes we have that idea that, that our job is to, in a sense, smother our children and, and not allow them to ever experience any pain or any difficulty or any want or any lack, right? Especially if you grew up without, right? If you went without certain things as a child, you may have made this little vow in your heart that my kids will not go without this. My kids will not have to live through what I lived through. My kids will not have to, have to endure these painful things that I had to endure. Now, sometimes those are good, right? When, it, when it's just something evil, when it's something terrible, that, that's a good promise to make to yourself. But sometimes we, we can overreact, and, and we can just spoil our kids. We can just enrich our kids in an unhealthy way because we just don't want them to go through the same difficulty that we, we did. And I want to challenge you that the difficulty is good for us. It, it's, it's something that strengthens us. There's a reason that when we become a Christian, God doesn't just immediately take us to heaven. God has left us here. He has work for us to do. He has difficulty for us to endure. He wants us to follow in Christ's footsteps, to do work in this broken world full of thorns and thistles. He wants us to work here and to struggle here to bring glory to him, to share his goodness 
with other people. And we have to train our kids to be able to do that. If we protect them from all difficulty, and then all of a sudden at age 18 they're released into the real world full of brokenness and pain, they will not be ready for it. So again, you have to use wisdom. You have to understand what is appropriate for them. You don't want to give them more than they can handle, but you want to allow them to endure some, some difficulty. James 1.2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Difficulty and, and strain and, and trials make us stronger. That's just the way God made our bodies even, right? Any of you lift weights? Uh, when you lift weights, what happens is, is your body, the muscles are torn down. And then rest and food builds back up those muscles even stronger, even bigger. Well, not always bigger. I lift weights. It doesn't seem to work. But, but that's how it's supposed to work, right? The, the strain is supposed to make you stronger. And, and you build back even better. And that's how God's designed our bodies. I have a picture here of a weightlifter lifting weight. And that strain and, and that struggle actually makes us stronger. But again, we have, to be, we have to apply it appropriately, right? I mean, you don't want to give too much strain to your kid when they're not ready for it. You know your child. You know what they can handle. I had a picture here of, of maybe an inappropriate exposure to strain. Um, this was a little baby there trying to lift the same weight. You can see the poor little guy is just exasperated. He has a sad look in his eyes. I don't know if you can see it, but that's, that's too much, right? I mean, that baby probably can't lift more than like a buck fifty, so you need, to, you need to give him the appropriate weight, okay, the appropriate strain to lift. And again, that's, that's something you learn by knowing your child, by knowing them, but encourage them to learn how to work hard. Encourage them to know how to strain, to know how to sweat. Give them those opportunities. You can do outdoor adventure together. You can uh, involve them in sports. You can involve them in service projects that you may do. We just had the people from the Clean Food Care Pantry here last week. Serve together as a family. Uh, there's a camp, Camp Tejas, where we worked as a family, where you can, you can do a service project for the camp, and they give you a reduced rate to stay there. So it's like a working vacation. That was a fun thing to do as a family. Our kids sweat together and got dirty together, and we just had a good time. That was, that was good building time. If you own your own family business, allow your kids to work with you. Don't, don't shield them from all responsibility. Let them take ownership in the difficulty and the work of life that you have to do, that God has called you to. Allow them to grow stronger through those experiences. As we conclude, I was remembering a, another story of, of kids shoving things up their nose, right? Um, there's a story in one of these Dobson books about James Dobson's father who had four brothers and he told the story of, of one time that their dad was leaving and they were shelling some beans. Is that what you call it? Shelling beans? I don't know. Getting beans out of the pod somehow. Anyway, they were, they were making beans, however that works. And, and the grandpa, when he was leaving, said, hey, make sure none of them shove any of them up their nose. I don't know why he was thinking of that, but they must have heard him because three days later, some bean sprouts started coming out of some of the boys' noses. They had shoved beans up their noses, and they're now starting to sprout. And this, this is a great illustration of what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, for no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. And that's a reminder that Jesus tells us all the time that things grow again from the inside. 
that there's something deeper within. Hopefully not an eraser or beans, but there's, there's got to be something deeper within us. Hopefully it's the gospel. Hopefully you are allowing the gospel to take root in, in the little hearts of your children. He continues when he talks about this tree and, and what kind of fruit it bears. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. All the methods we employ are not to just control external behavior, but to try to help our kids redirect their hearts to a God that loves them. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have adopted us as your children, and I pray for all of us that we would recognize how great is your love for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for making us your own. I pray that you would help us equip the next generation to know you and to walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.